find the beauty behind that heartache. And then you become, you become, because of the diagnosis, because of the nature of the uniqueness of the kid, it becomes the incentive for you to become a better human being and a better parent. So it's actually the kid may, may actually be the trigger for you to do that homework. How cool is that? Want to truly be the best parent you can be and help your child thrive after their autism diagnosis? This podcast is for all in parents like you who know more is possible for your child. With each episode, we reveal a secret that empowers you to be the parent your child needs now, saving you time, energy, and money, and helping you focus on what truly matters most, your child. I'm Cass. And I'm Len. Welcome to Autism Parenting Secrets. Welcome to the show. It's Len, and joining me today is a legend in the world of health and wellness. So much so that way back in 2005, he was inducted into the Canadian Health Foods Association's Hall of Fame. With me today is Udo Erasmus, the co-founder of Udo's Choice Line, which can be found in Whole Foods and other health food stores worldwide. Udo designed the machinery for making oils with health in mind, and he pioneered flax oil now a billion-dollar industry. Udo is an acclaimed speaker and author of many books, including the best-selling Fats That Heal, Fats That Kill, which has sold over a quarter million copies. He teaches at events hosted by Tony Robbins and Deepak Chopra, has keynoted an international brain health conference, and has traveled the globe to conduct thousands of live presentations, media interviews, staff trainings, impacting more than 25 million lives, with his messages on oils, health, peace, nature, and human nature. Udo has extensive education in biochemistry, genetics, biology, and nutrition, including a master's degree in counseling psychology. We're going to cover a lot of ground today, but the secret this week is simple. Be fully present. Welcome, Udo. Oh, glad to be on. Jeez, that sounds like, that sounds so amazing. This guy, but this guy you're talking to must be really amazing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, he's hard. He's hard to get. And I, I'm just a simple guy. <laughs> you may be, but you've been at this for quite a long time. I'm 81. I got a few years ahead of you, so that 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 would explain some of it. Yeah, you were doing this before it was cool and trendy. So, uh, so I, you have such an intriguing uh, history. So, again, share whatever you'd like. Obviously, the people who are listening to this podcast are parents with a child on the spectrum, with some form of diagnosis, they want to be the best parent they can be. It's overwhelming with all the options. And I know you have expertise in a lot of different areas. So if there's anything of your background that you think would be relevant, why don't you start there with sharing for our listeners to understand who you are and where you're coming from? Yeah, well, I, I don't know if I was born with autism spectrum disorder. I think 81 years ago when I was born, uh, I don't think they even had the term. Uh, I came out of a war, Second World War. I was born during the Second World War, 1942. And I was a refugee kid when I was two and a half in the winter. And we were on dirt roads in horse-drawn hay wagons, mothers with young children, no military presence. And the communists were chasing us in tanks and trucks. And the allies, who are supposed to be the good guys, were using us as target practice, shooting at us from planes. So my mother, uh, there were dead horses and dead people in the ditches. And my mother got to a point, she had six kids with her, six years and younger. And uh, she, she got to a point where she said, it's safer to walk through the snow-covered fields than it is to stay on the road because the shooting was all on the roads and the tanks were all running down the roads. So she took two of the six kids she had with her by the hand and they went through the fields and she had to leave four kids behind. Oh my God. And, uh, and I was one of the left behind kids. Um, eventually her sister found out what happened and she found us and reunited us with the family. But for a two year old, uh, that's, that's pretty intense. I don't remember a lot of things from it, but I never felt safe. I was always like, 
like this, right? Yeah. Always didn't feel safe, didn't know who I could trust, didn't know what I could trust because we got, you know, in the war, one day they tell you one thing and the next day they tell you another thing because they're trying to deal with crisis. And of course, as a kid, you don't know. It's like, well, wait a minute. You just told me to, to wait, to not poop my pants. And now you tie a string around my legs and you say, go and poop in your pants. Right. It's like, so I grew up always wanting to know what can I count on? What, how do things work? So I got very interested in, and everything that I've done is always like, how does this work? You know, because once, once you know how something works, it gives you a certain amount of security, uh, a certain amount of predictability and a certain amount of safety. Right. And as a kid, I was very withdrawn, very into books because books are safe. Right. So you can get lots of adventures out of books, but no hurt to you. Right. And when I was six years old, I listened to adults argue and they argued about things that I thought were trivial when I, when I was six years old. So it must have been pretty trivial stuff, but they get so intense. They got so into it. Oh my God. And that would make me so uneasy. And one day when I yet another argument going on, the thought came to me. There must be a way that people can live in harmony. And a little cocky voice said, I'm going to find out how. So that's been my driver all my life. How does it work? How can we live in harmony together? Obviously, parents with children, we with ourselves, harmony. You know, countries with countries, communities with communities, races with races. You know, all of the issues that we have on the planet are are the result of not having learned how to live in harmony with ourselves and with each other. You, you have no idea how much that's resonating with me. Uh, and, yep. and, and again, your, your story, it's easy to, to hear it. Nobody could possibly imagine what that is like because uh, you know, right now everyone has trauma of some form or another, uh, okay. but, but there are degrees of, of, of it. And I think what you experienced um, uh, really, I mean, talk about, something so seismic, so young. Uh, but, but I know for myself without going into my own story right now, cause I want to stick with, with what you're sharing, but I also really early on developed that same desire that it's all about peace for me, how to introduce more peace into the environment, into this world, you know, starting with the family dynamic and really this podcast you know, my wife and I have slightly different missions. We want to serve parents and be useful and to help them become more empowered and equipped. But I'm all about promoting peace, which is, which means for the parent, for them to stop doing what I was doing, which was creating pain and suffering by how I was showing up because that, that you can control. So really this podcast, at least from my perspective, is to share the secrets with parents. Not like I have all the answers, but there's definitely ways that a parent's navigating that could unintentionally be creating a lack of peace and more of an environment that's actually pushing their child away when really what the child needs most is to have an environment that fosters more connection and love. Mm-hmm. And stability. Yeah. Stability, predictability, as you said. Yeah. Yeah. So, so all of the, all of the trauma, every, every childhood has trauma in it. You know, you fall down, you skin your knee, trauma, right? Your your parents blame you for something you didn't do and whack you, trauma, right? I mean, and they can whack you with words or they can whack you with, with physically, right? So le- we're very delicate creatures. So there is trauma involved in living. And I, there's no way around it. It's even the richest parents and even the most, you know, cotton batten protected environment, you're still going to fall on your nose. And it's going to hurt, you know. There's so trauma is it is is part of living in the world. There wasn't a lot of trauma in the womb because you were in a cushioned environment. There was no, you know, hard hard rocks to to to, to bang on, right? And everything was taken care of, and there was nothing to do, and there was no place to go, and it was pretty safe. So there's your trauma-free environment. The moment you came out, you had to get to know the world. Trauma started. The issue then is, so how do you get, you know, talking about peace, right? 
there was peace in that environment because in, I call it the Buddha tank. You know, when you're in the womb, you're in the Buddha tank. In the Buddha tank, what's going on? Nothing. It is the most boring place that you could imagine because there is zero, literally nothing to do. You're not even breathing and you don't have any words and you don't even know you have a mother and you don't know nothing about there being a world, right? And there you are in this place, completely bored, but not feeling bored. Because in that place, your focus has not gone out into the world and figured out what's, what's all going on. Your focus is at rest inside, in its source, in life, and beyond in life, a little deeper, in peace, in awareness, in pure awareness. So there you are. You've been in deep meditation for nine months, if you're a term baby, right? So you have in, built into your being peace, unconditional love, and the shine of that into the world. And when kids come out of the, out of the you know, they, they're bright. They're very bright because they're still in touch with that. And that is part of human nature. There's always at the core of your being, there's always going to be peace. And around that, there's always going to be unconditional empowering love, which is your life energy, which is solar energy or a fraction of it filtered through space, then filtered through the atmosphere, then filtered through green plants, then stored in bonds between atoms to make molecules. Then you eat those and they get those bonds get broken in your cells. The energy is released. There's your life. So you are a solar energy gadget. So is every other human being on the planet. So are the animals, so are the trees, and so are the microbes. So we're all solar energy gadgets. And that energy, that fraction of solar energy, is unconditional love for your body. Unconditional, and it's empowering, because it's the power that runs your body. Weighs nothing, runs everything. 24-7, never takes a day off, never goes on strike, loves you unconditionally. And if I say to you, I pointed you and I say, hey, whose body is that? What's your answer? I would, I would say it's, it's, it's not my body, it's the universe. I mean, it's, it's all Okay, so, you're, so you think too much. <laughs> Most people would say, if you point at them and say, whose body is that? They say, it's my body. Just yeah. like it's my body, it's like my knee hurts, my knee, you know, my teeth are crooked, my teeth, right? So I'm the owner of the body. I'm the owner of the teeth. My nose is, you know, I'm the owner of the nose. So who owns your body? The, the, the old me would say me, but I think I've just done so much work where I, I just see I'm, I'm temporarily the custodian, but I don't own anything. Let me tell you. <laughs> okay. Life owns your body. I'll buy that. And you say, this is my body. So you are speaking as life when you say, this is my body. So you are actually not the body. You are life. You are the owner of the body. Now, if you are life, then you are a solar energy fraction that has unconditional empowering love for the body. That is your individual essence unconditional empowering love every human being every creature on the planet at that level inside beyond the mind beyond the emotions a little deeper than that every one of us is life which is unconditional empowering love 24 7 lifelong now if you can find your way back to that after you come out into the world and get distracted by what you have to do to under, to learn how to live in the world, right? Because we, we get disconnected from that in the process of getting to know the world. And some people, if they're religious, they say, you know, gain the world, lost your soul. Oh, lost your, lost your, lost your connection to life in the process of getting to know the world of surfaces of things, right? And then with, as you go from being present inside and absent outside in your focus, you, you go 
so you you start present inside, absent outside. And then slowly after you're born, you become more and more present outside and you get disconnected from inside. So now you're present outside, absent inside. And that's where heartache begins. And whether we call it disappointment or blues or heartbreak or sorrow or sadness or feeling betrayed or restless or empty, it's a feeling in our chest that's uncomfortable that is triggered by a whole lot of things on the outside. But the trigger is not the cause. The cause is the normal, natural, necessary process of our focus wandering away from the unconditioned love that we are into the world of surfaces of things. And then we try to, and because of that heartache, that's our driving force. So we're trying to figure out, well, what do I need to do to feel whole again? Well, I fall in love with somebody or I, I'm good with my grandma or I get a dog or something. And then the person dumps you or the dog runs away or grandma dies. And then you're, you're thrown back to your disconnection to yourself and the discontent that you feel. And you give it, call it grief. Grief is another word for it. So the question is, how as a human being do you find your way back to that state of peace and love and shine. And you have to bring your focus back inside. And where do you start? You start with heartache. Because when you feel heartache, that's your call to come home. That's the greatest gift you've been given other than being alive. I was going to say, although you would think that's the greatest tragedy is heartache. Because if it wasn't for heartache, you would never find your way back home again. But in fact, it's calling you. And so what would we do? Well, we don't like it because it's intense and it can be painful and might even bring you tears. So what do we do? Well, we either distract ourselves from it in a thousand ways or we try to deny it or ignore it or pull some cockamamie uh, ideas over our head. So anytime it shows itself, we just try and pull it a little harder or we blame it on somebody. Right? Well, that's not, none of that's helpful. What I suggest to people is when your heart aches, be with it, feel it, sit with it, you know, quietly, gently. Don't judge it. Just feel it. Appreciate it. Acknowledgement. Acknowledge it. So be with it. Because less than a hair's breadth behind that heartache is your wholeness that you got disconnected from. There's your homecoming, right? Prodigal son returns home, paradise regained, whatever you, there's a little bit, so many stories, the hero's journey completed, right? And then what is the gift the hero brings back to the community? It's always about love. It's always about love, right? In one form or another. And the demons are all the things that keep us disconnected, our distractions, our our denials, all of that, right? Now, if you can find that place in yourself, imagine what a parent you would be to a child that comes into the world in whatever way they come into the world. Because they all come unique. Sometimes they're missing an arm or a leg. You know, sometimes, sometimes their, their, their structure is deformed in one way or another. Sometimes they come, you know, we come with uh, talents and we come with limitations. Everybody does. Right. And then instead of me having an expectation of how my kid should turn out, I'm in a place where I feel whole. I feel cared for. And when I feel cared for, it's not about how can I get this kid to be the way I want the kid to be? No, now it's like, how can I help? And honestly, how can you help? Be stable. Be loving, shine on them, and and help in the small ways that you can because their life is from inside too, right? So we can help, you know, we can help each other learn to button our shirts and, you know, tie our shoes and, you know, we can do some cooking and we do this and that. But life for the kid is internal just like it is for us. 
the big and probably the most important homework that I did as a parent, I did it late. The most important homework I did as a parent was to find my wholeness because then I could actually be there and it wasn't always about me. Then I could be actually there for them. And then I could do what needed to be done instead of trying to man maneuver them and manipulate them and push him and pull him and sh yell at him and shake him and you know all the things we do when we're frustrated because our frustration doesn't co comes from our disconnection from ourselves it doesn't come from what's going on in the world and when we feel connected oh my god everything's okay my kids okay he's alive oh my god she's alive oh my god what a miracle right and then instead of the diagnosis you're talking about a human being you know, what we tend to do in our society, we, we, um, we judge by what's wrong with them. We judge by the problem. And of course, that's culturally defined because what we call a problem in the West might not be called a problem in the East, right? So it's culturally defined. We've defined this thing. And then, and so I was giving a talk one time and I was talking about this particular topic. And I said, and, and there was a guy in the audience, and I was talking about how there's something in every human being that is completely content, that is beyond life and death, that is formless, that cannot get sick, never dies. And that there's outside of that is, an, is a love that life has for the body. And they cannot get sick. Those two cannot get sick. So he said, oh, my God. He said, I have, I see. So he was, he said, I've been diagnosed paranoid schizophrenic and you've given me so much hope. And I didn't give him anything. I just, I just pointed out the facts, right? And I said, yeah, you, 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 they say you are a schizophrenic. You are not a schizophrenic. You might have schizophrenia and you might hear voices and you might have hallucinations, but you are a human being. And, 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 as a human being, you're a human being. Don't forget it. Right? Remember that you're a human being. And, and so whatever is the diagnosis is a very small thing in that big picture. Because inside of the, a, a child, if it's autistic or a, a, uh, attention deficit or whatever, there's peace at the core. There's love uh, around that. They're shine from that love. Those are not affected by any of our conditions. And, and so autism and, and attention deficit and those kinds of issues, they're interactional issues, right? They're social issues. They're mental issues. They might be some emotional issues, but the emotional issues is not really part of that diagnosis. And there might be some toxicity issues physically, and there might be some deficiency issues uh, physically, and those you can address in various ways if you can figure out what actually those issues are. But the human being behind all of that, you know, life, life does not get toxic, and and the peace at the core never gets toxic. It's not even affected by anything, right? It's just like a core, and it's a stability within every human being. And imagine if eight billion people had access at will to that place, whenever the crisis hit, whenever they needed stability, whenever, you know, whenever the doo-doos hit the fan, right? Because, because all of that's not affected by any, any of, of what goes on in the world. And that's so important for people to have that. When I'm in that place, I don't have to, I don't have to have expectations. You know, I have expectations because something in me is, is not, is not connected. And so I want something else to connect it. And that's, a, that's like because I haven't done my homework. So we have homework to do as parents. We have homework to do that usually in, the, in our society, we don't do before we have the kids, but it would be better if we did. And if you didn't do the homework before you had the kids, well, then you got to do the homework while you have kids. You still got to do the homework. I, I don't think you're doing the homework unless you have the heart ache or the heartbreak. I mean, it's, it's, I, I admire the people who can do that and, and, and kind of be, be more prepared. But I think, um, you know, 
especially so much of what you're saying is so relevant. And, you know, when parents receive that diagnosis that I agree with you has nothing to do with who that child is. It's, it's, a, it's a label and, it, and there's what well, we could talk for a long time about why it's irrelevant in many cases, but that parent is basically getting from all aspects of society confirmation that the child is broken, that this is a heartbreak, this is a tragedy. And so like for a parent to be able to even see what you're talking about and to, to see that opportunity to get to that better place, it's so hard because there's so much cutting against it. Yeah, nobody said it was easy. Nobody said it was supposed to be easy either, right? And the thing is, they got the diagnosis too, right? So we all think we're not good enough. We all think we're not loved because we're not worthy, right? But that's that's all just, life never said that. Life has never, if, if life thought you weren't worthy, it would recycle you, your body, right? So life has never said to any human being, you're not good enough, ever, ever in the history of mankind, in the history of the planet, ever. So where does, where does this judgment come from? From other people who are disconnected, and then they pass on the memes of disconnection. And we call that culture, right? I mean, part of culture. It's not all of culture, but, right? So, so and, the, and the wholeness and the perspective starts with me getting that I'm disconnected from myself. It's a natural process, nobody to blame. Happens in a good family, happens in a tough family. No, it's a natural, normal, necessary process in getting to know the world. So nobody's to blame. But if you want to find your way home to wholeness, to you, you are okay, because there's never ever been anything wrong with you. Because you are life and there's, no, there's can't be anything wrong with life. Right. So taking that on. And then you become that stability and you become that love for the creatures that are put in your care, right? Whether they're your, whether they're your own babies or whether they're people or neighbors or, or plants or animals or pets or whatever, right? But the homework is always the most important individual part because you want to be, if you want to live a really good life, you got to be fully present in all of your being and your surroundings, and not lost in thoughts, in expectations, in in fantasies in your head about how the world should be when the world is the way the world is, right? That's called acceptance. Well, well, the concept of being fully present and what you just mentioned in terms of acceptance, right? So if we look at that as the opportunity, that's the fast track, that's, that's, that's what the, the anguish and the pain is a call to return there to, to, to a place of peace and love. Then if I asked you, what's the problem then? Like what's the, what's, what is a parent particularly doing that's cutting against them to see this opportunity and to take action towards it? When I try to answer that question, I would say the biggest thing a parent does, which is what I did, it comes down to judgment. That that is the biggest mistake I was making. Judgment and expectation. Ju absolutely, judgment of myself, expectation of myself. Same for my child. So I so I look at that as being okay. That's that was my work, and I, my wife and I have done a lot of work to reevaluate our beliefs because I think so much of it is judgment. But there, I'm sure there's other pieces. That but there's another piece to it. it was, we live in crisis mode all the time. Yes. And if we if there is no crisis, we'll manufacture one. We'll make it up in our head, you know, like if I live and I'll like if I'm fully present in my being, I experience peace at the core. That peace is not limited to my body, but when I that's my access point. So from that accident point, I look around, and I say, oh, my God, peace is everywhere. Peace is everywhere. Peace has always been everywhere. It's never not been anywhere. And in that, in that peace, peace is like space. It's not affected by what's going on in, in that space, right? It's not affected by what's going on in it. 
it's always what it is, space, right? So in that space that is peace, we throw all kinds of stuff into that space, okay? So for instance, there's a war in Ukraine and Russia. You know, there's the battlefield is peace. There's peace everywhere, inside the warriors, between the warriors, around the warriors, on the entire battlefield, all of the Ukraine, all of Russia, peace everywhere. But the focus of the warriors is not on peace, which would be more like here, right? In your chest area, but deeper, right? The, the focus is on you're my enemy, I'm going to kill you. And the other guy says, you're my enemy, I'm going to kill you. And then in a place of complete peace, they have a war, right? And, it, it, you, you know, you can go to other places too. This is true, you know, and in that peace, the flowers grow. And in that peace, we make love. And in that peace, we worry about our children. And it's always because our focus has gone from the peace to something else. And crisis mode seems to be manufactured for us. If it's not one thing, it's another, right? <laughs> so how we say that? There's always something loose. You know, there's always something you got to deal with, right? Maybe you could just leave it loose. Maybe you could actually say, okay, there are things I need to deal with, but I'm going to take five minutes or 10 minutes or 15 minutes for myself to connect with myself, to sit in stillness, to see how deep I can go into that stillness, to see how long I can stay there. And then to discover, you know, breathe lightly, slowly. Close your eyes in a safe place. What is there in the space your body occupies? And if you sit in that quietness, in that stillness, you discover your wholeness. You discover your magnificence. You discover your awesomeness in being, in doing nothing, in being, because you're supposed to be a human being, right? Not a human doing. And that's your foundation. Being is your foundation. If you don't do some something that takes you to that place, you're actually living without foundation. And then it's like, yeah, it's like peace doesn't exist for you. And then, oh, my God, look, oh, that's changing. Oh, that's changing. Oh, it's all changing way too fast. Oh, my God, what if, what if, what if? And then you, the anxiety comes and, the, and then the frustration comes and then the anger comes. And all because we're not taking the time to go to a peace that is always also within us. And imagine... The difference, you know, so if I'm in peace and I see peace everywhere, I will live into my children as though there was peace there for them. But if I'm angry, I, f I see enemies. And if there are no enemies, I will create enemies because anger requires enemies, right? In the same place where in peace, I see peace. Now I see enemies. Now the kid frustrates me because I want him to turn out different than he is or whatever it is, right? You know, or, or I have my rules and the kid's not following the rules, right? And now, so now I have a war with my kid or a war with the world, right? So then we create enemies where there aren't any, and then we do battle with those enemies. If I'm afraid, I see danger everywhere. So then I say, okay, I'm going to duck, I'm going to hide, you know, I'm going to you know, protect myself, you know, whatever it is, like maybe not show up too much, you know, not laugh too much, you know, not breathe too loudly, you know. And then and then I create that as for the kid. And then the kid's more likely to live in fear too because I'm modeling it. And the kids learn from us not so much what we say, but what we model our states of being. They're They're so sensitive to it and they pick that up. So what state of being do I need to be in to be the best parent, I got to cultivate peace and love because they're biologically the core of my existence. So that's like, yeah, and that's, I learned that, I learned that much later. So then, you know, when I, with my kids, you know, they wanted to get uh, sugary, sugary stuff. And I knew better that, because I also work in health, right? So I say to my kid, he said, hey, dad, buy me a slush cat. This is what he said, right? I said, you know, Ty, I said, uh, I'm not going to spend money that I work hard for 
to buy you something I know isn't good for you. But if you want to spend your own money on that, that's up to you. You know, or, you know, he would. And so I wouldn't I wouldn't tell them what they should do. I would focus them. I would help them focus. You know, like one time he, he used to get sugar rushes and he'd get, and he'd get first he'd get really high on the slush cat, you know, then he'd collapse into a chair and say, God, I'm so tired. God, I'm so tired. Right. And so I said to him one time when I figured, I figured I noticed what was going on. I said, see if that doesn't happen every time you eat a bunch of sugar. And then I didn't say anything after that. And about a month later, he came back and said, Dad, you're right. It's like, right, right about what? <laughs> he says, well, I, I noticed that every time I eat sugar, I get this reaction, I get this tired thing, and I've decided not to eat so much sugar anymore. And then instead of saying, see, I told you so, I said, you're a smart kid for figuring that out. That's right. But you said, but you set it up for him to figure it out. I, I get to, I, you know, what does it say? What does it say? Wise people tell others where to focus, but they don't tell them what to learn or what to see. Right. And, and so that was really helpful because then it's like he owned it because that was his discovery. Right. If I tell him, it's a, he can just say, well, that's what you say, you know, and I'm going to do it or I, or just because I'm ticked right now, I'm not going to do it. Right. But when it's, but when it's your own insight that you've learned, you own it. And how do you create an environment in which you can help them focus on the things you might have noticed they need to learn? without laying the trip on them, right? And again, if I'm in a, in a quiet place, if I'm literally fully present in, in my being and I feel loved and I feel in peace and I'm not missing anything, so I don't have to, what can I get to, to make me work? Ah, now, I'm, now I can be there for my kids and literally really be there for them. So that, so I, I guess what I'm saying is like doing that first purpose in our own life is so important. And by the way, all the wise people in the world said, do that first. You know, kingdom of heaven is within you. First seek the kingdom and then everything else will be added unto you. And literally I, and we put it last. It still works, even if you put it last, but the sh shift that happens when you start taking the time for yourself so that you can be in that place and then learn how to stay in that place as you go about your business. And it all takes practice, you know, so it's not like this is like sounds easy for you to say, but yeah, no, it takes practice. I've been doing the practice for 51 years now. And, and so then you take it out into the world with you and you function better and people like you more. And you don't take it out on people and you hurt less people. And, you know, and the same thing is true for other people. The same thing is true for kids. And ultimately, the same thing is true for yourself. Give yourself the time, the care. It's just time, really, the space you need to be fully present in the magnificent miracle that you are. And out of that, out of, out of that feeling comes the gratitude and out of that feeling comes the comes the calmness by which you can see what's actually going on with the kid and you can actually help them better, right? Because you can't live your kid's life for it, for the kid. Well, there's definitely parents who think they can. But, but, but you, can you can empower them to, to, find their own, to find their own roots and to find their own growth. Yeah, and yeah, when you, when there are parents who think that and they were called Victorian parents. <laughs> you know, they spare the rod and spoil the child, right? You know, that's what they said. It's like they uh, they used the rod on me. I just became more rebellious. <laughs> I can tell you that. <laughs> you know, because when somebody hits you, you want to hit them back, right? There's just that's natural. You want to defend yourself at least, or you want to get out of out of the way of it, right? But that's not love. That's like, you know. And you have a gift, you know, the gift, you know, don't, don't, don't think you were given a diagnosis. You were given the gift of a, of a live birth. Right. And, and anytime you see the kid, you want to remember that. Oh my God, a miracle. Oh my God. I can't believe that came through me. 
Oh my God. You know, it's like when you start to think about it, this, the whole thing is a miracle, right? And so you're there, you get to witness the miracle, you get to learn from the miracle, and occasionally you get to, you know, teach, teach it a small skill, right? And, and what a, what a, what an incredible entertainment it is to be a human being in a world full of families and human beings. Holy smokes. Dust, water, and air is what we're made of. And they're put together in a way that gets us the human experience. <sighs> Unbelievable. And you only get a hundred years of it if you're lucky, right? Billions of years you didn't exist. Now you get a hundred years. Billions of years you won't exist. In this time, be fully present in this incredible gift you have. If you don't do that, it's a wasted gift because nobody else can enjoy it for you. So you were given that gift. The kid was given the gift. Your husband, your wife was given the gift. Every other creature on this planet was given that gift. Do what you can to encourage them to enjoy that gift. And, and most foremost, do your homework and make sure that you're, you're enjoying it because out of that comes everything else. And that homework, that work that you mentioned that you've been at it for 51 years, you know, that work doesn't have to take that long because all that work is all like, you don't need anyone's permission. You parents can move fast on that if they have the intent. And at least I found, I know I struggled with even giving myself permission to, to do that because, because I was in problem solving mode and I was just too busy keeping all my judgments going, uh, which, didn't, which didn't serve me. And, um, you know, so when, when to kind of rewind, if, if you, you really visualize that parents in so many ways are just in some form of fear, like there's fear that's going on, they're doing everything to, to, to kind of keep it together. Um, so you talked about two things, I think. Um, one's tactical and one's more of perspective. One is that the peace is everywhere. And if you're not looking for it, you'll never see it. So there's, there's that immediate perspective shift to, to be able to see what is that's good. What is that is, you know, not something that you're not wanting. And, and as you said with the battle, battlefield, like the vast majority, 99.999%, there's things to look at that you can be comforted by and excited by even if a few things aren't going your way. So there is that one concept that you're never going to see the piece unless you have the perspective to look for it. Right. And, and you, and you need to know that this is not something you have to create. It's already there. There. Yeah, exactly. It's already within you. The love is already within you. That is already your nature, but you got to bring the focus to it because the focus usually in here or out here and, and you won't find it in here or out there. You will find it in here. Which brings me to the second. That's the stillness practice. Take the time to be still so that you actually notice what's there in you. So if a parent's looking for one tactical, very specific thing they can do, and I do know that I think you, each morning, you spend, I think, an hour in stillness and and presence. So for someone who's listening, if they start with five minutes a day, building from there, Rather than sounding like a kind of a woo-woo thing to do, that is the key, isn't it? In terms, and, and building from there. Yeah, you got to start. You know, we're really good at moving our focus in the outside world and in our mind. We're really good at it because we do it every day all the time, right? What's that? What's that? Oh, listen to that. Oh, look at that. Oh, look at that, right? And as soon as something moves, we have to assess it for survival value. So we've become really good at doing that. We're doing it all day. How much time have we actually practiced moving a moving focus inside? Well, almost not at all. So guess what? We're not very good at it. It's like learning to walk, right? If you kid, you know, so people do meditation sometimes and they say, uh, you know, I tried meditation. It's, it's really boring. It's not for me. You know, so if your kid, if your kid had said, ah, you know what? I, uh, I tried to walk and I fell on my schnoz and it hurt. And I, 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 you know what? Walking's not for me. I'm just going to crawl around on all fours for the rest of my life. No, 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 no. See, they do it and do it and do it and do it and do it. And then next thing, and it takes them two years to learn to walk, 
right? And they and they're at it all day, right? So this requires practice. You get better as you practice. You want a good. You want to get as good moving your focus inside at will as you are moving your focus around outside at will. That takes practice. But start. You know, and then if you think it's boring, then notice how peaceful the boredom is. Because it means you're on the right track. You're already out of your doing addiction, because we're addicted to doing, right? So you're already out of your doing addiction. Now you're in a no man's land. So you haven't quite hit the light that you are yet, or the love that you are yet. So you're in between the world of doing and the world of being. But it's already really peaceful there. You call it boring, but that's boring. It's only boring if you're addicted to doing. Well, well, my heart yearns for that type of peace. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's the heartache. Yeah, no, but the idea of being present and not doing what I usually do, which is distracting myself with what I need to do or what happened yesterday or the, all the judgments that might be floating around... I've gotten really good at distracting myself as a way of, uh, in some way, it's protective. So just being still and present, as much as there's something that's appealing to me, it is actually scary to be present. Mm-hmm. But, if, but when you go there, you'll discover that you were scared of the most beautiful thing there is in your life. Right. <laughs> right. It's like, what, what was I thinking? Right. <clears throat> And and then the and then that other thing is just habitual. It's just habitual because we've done it so much, so we're comfortable. It's we're 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 used to it. That's what keeps it going. It just has momentum because we've been doing it for so long, so much, so often, right? And then this is this you can make this momentum too. So I do it every day now. It's like and and for me, it's like I got to a point where I said. <clears throat> I don't know what this is. There's a perfection within me. I don't know how to get to it. I need to show, find somebody to show me a step. And the next day I, I met the person who was half my age. He said, the peace you search for in the world is within you. I can reveal you that peace. And I didn't think he could because I was 30 and I, went, I, I know my way around. And 14-year-old, was he going to teach me, right? But I wanted peace because I came out of a war. And I said, well, just in case he could show me, I wouldn't want to miss it because I wasn't getting there by myself. Like I was trying to do it on my own. So they, so they, the, the point of all that is do it on your own. See how far you get. If you need help, ask for help. You know, if you make it part of the conversation, you'll find the people who are into peace very quickly. Right. And so, and then, and then, you know, basically I got to a point, I said, I know I'm not connected to it. I need to find someone who can show me a step because I haven't been able to figure it out. And that was it. And then he showed it to me. Then I thought it was too simple. And he said, well, give it a fair chance. I said, okay, I'll give it six months. I promised I'd try it and I would do it. And I realized that if I did my practice before I got into the arguments with my ex, I wouldn't rise to the bait. So by the time six months were up, I said, wow, this works. So I've been doing it for 51 years. You know, the marriage, the di- marriage didn't make it, but, and, and in a way it was like the pain of that also drove me to want to go deeper into a place where there is no pain, but through the pain into the painless place, not avoiding the pain, hiding from it. I actually got to a point where I said, you know, I'm not, I don't want to run from this. This is intensely painful. I, I, but I'm not going to run from it. And eventually, you know, then it took me two years to, to realize that this was never going to come back together and to accept that. And the moment that I accepted it the way it was, pain was gone. And then it was, okay, now let me pick up the pieces and let me, let me live my life. In a way, that's, that's the process of going inside too, right? Because on the outside, you know, and the worst situations outside, and sometimes the kids, when you, when they're diagnosed with the problem, that becomes the heartache that drives you to go deeper. That's why I stay with it. That's why I go through it. That's why find find the beauty behind that heartache. And then you become, you become, you know, because of the diagnosis, 
because of the nature of the uniqueness of the kid, it becomes the incentive for you to become a better human being and a better parent. So it's actually the kid may, may actually be the trigger for you to do that homework. How cool is that? I think that's amazing. I, th I think that's amazing. And again, there's so many perspective shifts that you've shared that opens up so much. And of course, the, um, you know, the uh, analytical part of me is like, okay, well, let's talk about exactly what should a parent do in the morning they wake up and what does this look like? But just like them on this journey to find answers for their child in terms of how to best support them, it's the same thing in terms of being present. Everyone can experiment, ask for help, as you mentioned, find their own way. It's not complicated, but everyone may have their own unique way of what feels good for them to just be. And I know I've, I've spent in a lifetime and even now my wife reminds me I'm doing and not being. And so I have a meditation practice that helps, but I know there's pieces that I can add to bring more sincere presence to my day. And it's, yeah. it's, it's, I'm never going to be fully there, but I can definitely get better and better. At it. Yeah. We will always be works in progress. I have been going into it a lot. I've never seen the bottom of it. It just goes on and on and on, and, it's, and it just becomes more and more beautiful and more and more calm and more and more just, yeah, it's so nice. Well, that, that is a phenomenal thought to, I think, end this discussion on, of, of being fully present. In all, in all of your being and not lost in thoughts in your head. Well, Udo, thank you for this gift. And also, we will definitely be having you on so we can talk about uh, food and particularly oils and fats, which I know you have a, a lot of perspectives on. That'll be a future episode. But right now, we're going to stay on this. And again, um, I know I will be re-listening to this episode for sure. And I really appreciate you sharing your perspectives because so much of what you've shared, I know, is going to really hit home with so many of our listeners. So thank you so much. Yeah, anything I can do to help? It's good. Thank you, Len. It's like this is this is fun. Absolutely. Thank you, Uda. Want to discover your top autism parenting blind spot? Take our free quiz today. Go to allinparent.com slash go.